Okay, welcome everyone to this week's installment of whatever this is called. The Guide to Existence. And uh, I want to talk today about the plague that is plaguing everyone's television station. And uh, and a lot of people's, most of, probably 90% of every conversation you've had in the past two years which is COVID, which we thought was over, and now it's back. And we just started wearing masks again in Maryland. I don't know what's going on in New York. You, probably, you guys have probably had to do that for a while. And um, it's like the world is going crazy again. And I want – yeah, I know. It is worse in New York. And I, I want to talk a little bit about it. I want to first dedicate this class to that my father, who was just diagnosed with COVID today, even though he had COVID about – Three months ago, he has now Omicron. He should have a Rafu Shlema Shlomo Ben Sarah Rivka. And I should be able to visit him in a week. And hopefully it shouldn't be an issue that I shouldn't, you know, because I already am planning on seeing him next, in a week. And I want to be able to make sure to do that. And that my whole family should have a Rafu Shlema because a lot of us have the flu or had the flu. And I want you to know that the symptoms are identical to covid so it's very confusing, and I got tested, and it is the flu. And I think the only difference between the flu and COVID right now is that the flu, you can go out, like, right away after symptoms go away. So anyway, it's not fun. I'm not happy having had the flu, and it's bringing back a lot of memories from exactly one year ago today that my whole family had COVID, and that I ended up in the hospital for six days. And it was an adventure and an experience, uh, a a learning experience. And there's a lot of actually fond memories from the experience on my part. But for my family, it was really traumatic. And, um, and it's bringing up a lot of uh, PTSD for my wife. And so I want to share some ideas of how to deal with not COVID, because that's not my department. I called my rabbi last night. And I asked him what to do about regarding vaccines and boosters and the whole thing with kids. He said, this is not a question for a rabbi. It's a question for a doctor. He said, ask a doctor that you trust and do whatever he says. And I think that that's a very important message for all of us because we hear so many conflicting theories and we're all so inundated by different opinions on social media that we think that everyone's opinion is equal. And the answer is that's not true there are people who spend their lives studying these things find someone you trust don't make your own decision i'm not saying that there aren't conflicting opinions there are conflicting opinions that's the reason that's the reason why you have to find someone that you trust and listen to them but don't think that because you read such and such a blog or a post on facebook that now you're an expert just like everyone else it's not true we know nothing and, you know, we, it's good to ask questions because I have asked questions to different people and gotten answers and some that I understood, some that I didn't. Um, but at the end of the day, the Torah says very clearly, you have to have a rabbi. And in this department, doctor, you have to find yourself a doctor or a medical professional that you feel is telling you the truth. And, and I know it's complicated. You know, there's so much. And it's, it, it, there's good questions that have to be asked. <laughs> we have to understand the big picture here and make decisions that are right for us, for our family, and for society. 
So, um, yeah. Any questions? I don't want to get into a whole debate now about masks and vaccines, but I'll share with you something that I, my personal thought on the theory, even though it's worth zero, I want to make this very clear. My medical opinion is worth nothing, just as much as yours is worth nothing, okay? Unless you're a doctor listening. But my friend, uh, Dr. Dan Grove, who some of you met, who is in uh, an ICU uh, pulmonologist here in Maryland. He's he's an awesome guy. He's been writing a blog since he had COVID. He was one of the first people in Maryland to get COVID. He got it from the ICU, and he's been writing a blog ever since then. And he just recently wrote one, and he and he and he, he said that he is seeing that the ICU is full right now in Baltimore, in the hospital he works in, and that it's all unvaccinated people. So what does that mean for what the decision that you should make? I'm I don't I'm not telling you what to do. I'm just sharing with you that what he said. And <clears throat> he also so I asked him a question. Now I saw again on Facebook like debates and debates. What about natural immunity? Okay? So study in Israel said natural immunity is worth more than the vaccine because the vaccine is like a joke. What do you mean? You got to get a booster in 3 months like it's not working. The answer is that the vaccine is working towards lowering symptoms okay and um apparently natural immunity isn't helping with this new mutation so then the next question is but the new mutation is even bad for you right new mutation is like a cold it's like the flu but again because it's happening all at once the the emergency rooms are full they're full which means people who need medical attention aren't able to get it so it's not about you not getting deathly ill because it probably won't happen. It's about you not needing some sort of help from the hospital, which does happen because when everyone gets sick at the same time, right? So a lot of people have to go to the hospital at the same time. And then it means that the system gets clogged up and people who need help don't get help. So that's my current understanding, which ironically is almost exactly what I said a year ago which is don't worry about you. You're not doing it for you. You're not being careful for you. You're being careful so that you don't get other people sick and that the medical system doesn't collapse because so many people are being sick at the same time. So again, even though Omicron is not even dangerous, really, the hospitals are still filling up. So that's my, that's my worth, my medical opinion that's worth zero. I'm just sharing with you my thoughts, okay? But what I wanted to share with you tonight is much more important and much more valuable than my medical opinion, which I, I have, I'm not entitled to have a medical opinion, right? But I am entitled to share with you some Torah thoughts and some psychology thoughts, both of which I do have a little bit, not a lot, but a little bit of a valid opinion on, on how to deal with what I think is the bigger issue, which is anxiety. Who, who agrees with me that that's the, bigger, the biggest issue that's plaguing us right now? I think is the biggest issue. And what? You mean there's a lot of tension. People are tense with each other because if. Oh, okay. Because we've been cut off. Maybe, but okay. I hear you. So why, why is anxiety such an issue today? Why are we struggling so much from anxiety? Like, I want to make it very clear. The chance of any of us who are under the age of 50 dying from COVID is so small. 
much smaller than dying from a car accident, God forbid. Yet, why is the anxiety level so high? Anyone want to share why you think that is? <laughs> what? Okay, answer number one is fake news. Okay. <laughs> so I, I disagree. I mean, I, I agree and I disagree, Mike. I, I disagree because I think that COVID is serious, right? I was in the hospital personally, and it took me eight hours of waiting in an emergency room because there was just no room in the hospital. So it is a real thing that people are getting sick in larger numbers, and therefore people should be careful. But what I agree with, Mike, that in the aspect of fake news is that what does the media thrive off of? What's the purpose of the media? Is it to inform you? Is the job of the media to inform you what's going on in the world? Who says yes? Sometimes it's a sec. The media's job, it's a secondary job of the media is to inform you about what's going on on the world. What's the primary job of the media? To, to, to make money, Ronnie. Ronnie, exact, to make money. The primary goal of the media is to make money. And how, what is the best way to do that? What you said, to scare you. So, yes, we should take it seriously. I really truly believe that COVID should be taken seriously. I really believe that. I think it's a real thing and I think it should be taken seriously. But the media hypes it up and wants to scare you, A, to get you to do something about it because otherwise people won't care, but B, because they want you to keep watching. And then they want people to buy advertisements on their network so that they make money. So it's all about business and profit. So we we can't we it is clear that there is a direct correlation between watching the news and anxiety. There's also a direct correlation between social media and depression. That's another story for another time. Okay. But so that's number one. So you could call it fake news. Maybe some of it is fake news, but to some degree, propaganda. And, and I think that that does fit into it. Why Israel was very clear that natural immunity prior to my Omicron was better than the vaccine. And America didn't say anything about that. It's because America was up against a whole bunch of majority, 50% of the country that didn't want to vaccinate. So they couldn't say that because then people will say, oh, I'm not getting vaccinated. Well, so, but it's, it's not fair. It's fake news, right? They should have shared with people the reality, which is that according to Israel, at least, natural immunity was better. But I think now it's a different story anyway. But let's get done with the politics and go back to the Torah. Okay. So um, I want to talk to you about some lessons in dealing with anxiety. And, and I think it comes out of uh, something awesome from this week's Parsha. So in this week's Parsha, Moshe comes. Last week he started and he comes to the Jewish people and he says, God's going to take you out of Egypt, out of slavery. And our time of redemption is here. And that's what he says again in this week's Parsha. He says, Hashem says, I will take you as, as a people for myself and I will bring you to the land that I promised to give to Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. And Moshe said this to the children of Israel. 
but they did not listen to him. Why? Due to the shortness of breath and the hard labor. Because of the shortness of breath and the hard labor, they were unable to hear the message that Moshe was trying to tell them, that the redemption was here. What does it mean, the shortness of breath and the hard labor? Says Rashi. Rashi says something very interesting. If I can find it. Pasuk Tess. Call me Shahu Maitzer, anyone who is in a state of constriction or suffering. Rucho Vinishmaso Kitsara. His Ruach, which means his wind or his breath, Vinishmaso, and his Nishama or his also his breath. Kitsara is short. And he's not able to draw down with his breathing. Okay, so Rashi tells us that why couldn't the Jewish people listen to Moshe? Because they were so out of breath that they weren't able to hear his words. And I want to share with you some ideas about breath. What does it mean that anyone who's in a state of the word is Maitzer. Maitzer. The word Maitzer is directly related to the word Mitzrayim. What does Mitzrayim mean? Egypt. What does Egypt mean? It comes from the word Maitzer, which means a place of constriction or a place of Tsar, which means suffering or narrow-mindedness. Egypt is a state of mind. It's a state of constricted consciousness. What is suffering? What's the difference between pain and suffering? I think we talked about this before. Excellent. Pain is to the body what suffering is to the mind. Pain is physical discomfort suffering is the thoughts that turn it turn that physical pain into something much greater when a person is in a state of constricted consciousness they have trouble breathing and that disrupts their ability to think and to listen to the reality that Moshe is telling them right now i'm about to redeem you or god's taking you out they couldn't hear the message because the suffering was so great not the physical pain, but the suffering. So <clears throat> I just want to share with you first just a psychological lesson that when a person is in uh, a state of anxiety or stress, so it triggers the sympathetic system, which is the fight or flight response. And that causes your pupils to dilate, the blood drains to vital organs, your breathing becomes shallow in, in order you to, for you to have a sudden burst of energy. And the fight or flight response is fantastic for what? What is it designed for? Survival, fighting or flying, right? If you have to fight a tiger or run for your life, 
It's great. You know what it's terrible for? It's terrible for taking tests, dealing with a fight with your spouse, traffic, like healing from a disease. Terrible. Got it? So if you were attacked by a lion or a tiger, 100% good, the right response. Any other risk in your life that's not an immediate physical danger of something that's going to attack you if you don't fight or run. So it is the wrong response. So how do we deal with that response? So there's something called the parasympathetic system, which is tells the body, relax. You can go back to digesting your food. You can slow down your heart rate. You can get back into a normal state of existence because the fear is gone. So the problem is that our brain is wired that when we feel fear, it doesn't matter what kind of fear. It could be about because you're about to take a test or because you're about to go ask a girl out on a date. And that same fear is telling your body, get ready to run from a lion. But the problem is that when there's no lion there, it's the wrong response. So you have to train your body to counteract that response if you want to be at the highest level of functioning in basically 99% of the tests that we have in our life. Right, unless you're like running a race or in a boxing match or getting mugged, you don't want that response. So when I want you to think about it for a second and tell me when the lion leaves, right? Imagine you're being chased by a lion in the woods and all those all those responses are going on in your body. You're running as fast as you can, and then you hide behind a tree and you watch the lion just disappear out of sight. What's the first thing your body does when the coast is clear? <sighs> a sigh of relief. That sigh of relief triggers to the brain to start the process of relaxation. So breath is the body's natural indicator to calm down. It's unbelievable. Okay, so when Rashi says that a person who's in SAR, who's in a place of constriction or suffering, is unable to breathe properly, he's teaching us on the first level a simple, natural um, process of the way the body works. Got it? Okay. But there's also something much deeper going on. Because if we look at Rashi, he's actually referring to two levels of soul. If you guys are familiar, there are actually five levels of soul described in the Torah. And I would actually love to give a class on this sometime. Not now. Because I just found a book that I have that I never learned. And he goes through in detail all five levels of soul for dummies. It's actually an amazing book. It's an introduction to Kabbalah and Hasidus. And it's amazing. I, I looked at it last week, actually, for the first time, and I was really impressed. And uh, so, so there are five levels of soul. Three of them exist within the body. And those five levels are called nefesh. Nefesh means life force. Nefesh exists in the blood, the Torah says. Hadam hu nefesh. The blood is the nefesh. Perhaps in uh, Chinese medicine, this is called qi. It is the universal life energy. 
that all living things have. And perhaps even animals, uh, even plants have some degree of this, even though plants don't have blood, they're alive. So nefesh is the lowest level of life. Then you have something called ruach. Ruach means wind or spirit. And ruach lives in the heart. And ruach is shared by both humans and animals. Plants do not have ruach. And I don't think insects have ruach. Ruach is the emotional soul. It exists in the heart. And it means wind. And then you have something called neshama. Neshama means breath. And or spirit. Neshama exists in the brain. And that is uniquely human. Neshama gives us the ability to for abstract thought and free will. So those are three levels of soul that exist within the body. Then there are two other levels, not for tonight, called Chaya and Yechida. Chaya is the life universal, uh, the part of us that's united with all other living things. It means life. And then there's Yechida, which is the oneness. And that's the part of the soul that's directly connected to God. The peace of God itself that's within us. So Rashi, let's re-examine Rashi's words again. Rashi says, anyone, call me Shuhu Meitzer, anyone who's in constriction or in suffering. Rucho v'nishmaso Kitsara, his ruach, we just learned that means one level of soul. V'nishmaso, nishama, another level of soul. Remember the simple reading of Rashi is his wind and his breath are short. But here it says his breath, his his ruach and his neshama or katsara are short. And he's not able to draw down with his neshama. So what does that mean? Let's try to understand. What's the connection between breath and the neshama? <clears throat> so I I I highlighted when I put this together last year when I got out of the hospital from COVID, four advantages of breath. And I, this was very meaningful to me at the time because I was, um, I hadn't been able to breathe for the time that I was in the hospital. And it's just interesting to note for, for Daniel who just got here that it's exactly one year ago, really today, that I was in the hospital, that I had COVID, and I'm now suffering from the flu which is almost identical symptoms to when I had COVID. Just the COVID got much worse, progressively worse. It like went south suddenly. Um, and hopefully the flu is on its way out. So advantage number one we just discussed is that breath relaxes the body. It enables your body to go back to a state of balance and homeostasis. Advantage number two of breath, and we see in a direct connection between breath and soul. The words themselves, ruach and neshama, are both connected to the idea of breath. Why is that? So the idea of breath is it gives us a chance to connect to ourselves. Breathing is the most basic meditation technique because when you connect to deep breathing, it enables you to zone inward as opposed to being connected outward. So the um, we had mentioned previously that there are several parshas in the Torah without breaks, and all those the breaks like paragraph breaks in the Torah, what are called parshas, and 
those whenever you have a section of the Torah without any breaks, without any paragraphs, it is an indicator that this has something to do with exile, constriction. And Rashi explains to us in the Torah that the purpose of the breaks between the different paragraphs in the Torah is to give Moshe time to contemplate and to meditate between each idea. So too with us. We need to have time to meditate throughout our life, throughout our day. You need breaks, whether it's morning, afternoon, and evening prayer services, or whether it's a few minutes in the morning to focus yourself for the day, a few minutes at night to go through your day and think about what you've accomplished and whether or not you've met your goals and where, you, where, where your shortcomings lay. Taking time each day to meditate is an essential aspect of mental health and physical health and spiritual health. The Mesilis Yasharim, one of the greatest books on um, self-improvement written by the Ramchal or Moshe, Moshe Chaim Lazato, great Kabbalist from Italy, in a second chapter, points out that Paro, in last week's Parsha, says to increase the workload for the Jews. When Moshe says, let my people go, Paro says, no. And then he says, now the Jews are going to have to produce the same amount of bricks as they were producing previously, but no more straw. I'm not giving them any more straw. They have to now do the same work with, with less supplies. And the Mesilis Yasharim says, why was that? Because Paro want knew the secret to keeping the Jewish people enslaved. More work, less time to contemplate and to meditate. If a person is all work and no play, makes Jack a dull boy. If you don't have time to meditate and to contemplate, and your life revolves around your job and your work, you lose focus of what really matters and your spirit gets broken. So society doesn't want us to have a moment to think about what the big picture of life is all about. Why? Because what's going to happen if we would stop for a second and ask ourselves, why am I doing this? Why am I working 50 hours a week? Nine to nine. What would happen if we would ask ourselves that question? Anyway. Excellent. It's a rat race. It's a rat race. We're running to make money to buy food, to make money to buy food. If you would stop yourself for a second, get off the rat race, get off that hamster wheel, you would say, wait a minute, why am I doing this? Why don't I just like move to the country, have a simpler lifestyle, work less, and enjoy my life? The answer is that the machine wants you to feel that the system of working and making money is the goal. So that's why we have Shabbos, one day off. And Moshe actually started that. He said to the Jews, Keep, you got to take one day off in Egypt. And he got power to give them one day off. So society doesn't want us to think about the big picture. Um, another thing they did in Egypt is they gave people varied tasks, things that were awkward for them, unusual. They gave men women's tasks and women men's tasks. and that threw them off and again, made them uncomfortable. 
Because when you're in a groove, even if it's doing menial labor, it's actually a great time to meditate. If anyone's ever had that, I worked on farms a lot, which I thought was going to be like really peaceful and spiritual. It was really just hard work. But every once in a while, you got in a groove. That's why I love doing dishes. If you ever want to talk to me on the phone, get me when I'm doing dishes because I just I love it. The warm water. It's like I don't have to think. Just you know, just work. Loading a dishwasher, I hate because that's that takes thinking. You got to think about where to put it, how to fit it in. You know, but just doing something without thinking is is a wonderful job. So if you do happen to have a job with that's that's mindless, so you can use that as an opportunity to meditate as well. Right? In communist Russia, thinking was forbidden. They wanted to limit your ability to think. They wanted to your, limit your resources to different ideas because they wanted to keep you enslaved. What about America? Does America want to limit the way we think? Depends <laughs> on you ask. But, but let's be honest. We live in the land of the free. There's no one telling you not to think. You can look anything up on the internet. You could you live in a free society, right? Okay. How do they do that? Okay. The media. Okay. So you're right that in America there are certain values that are taught through the media, but the answer is you can always change the channel. You can look elsewhere. No one's limiting your ability to break out of that. But there is something that's limiting your ability to break out of that. And that's in America, they don't have to limit your thinking. All they have to do is prevent you from thinking altogether. What's the best way to prevent you from thinking? Fill you with distractions 24-7. Make it that you don't have time to think because you're so caught up in the excitement of life. I had this insight on uh, in Midtown one time. I was walking in Midtown. I was thinking, you know, like America, it's a free country, right? We can do whatever we want. And I was like, no, you're drowned out with so much noise and distractions. You can't even, you don't even have time to think. You don't even have space to think. So you can't rebel if you never have a free moment. That's why whenever we go on a birthright trip and we take people into the woods, into the desert, and we do an eight-minute desert meditation, people break down crying because they never had a moment of aloneness to just think about what's going on in their life. And suddenly all the emotions come up to the surface. So meditation focuses on the present on being present in the moment, which is the greatest prevention of anxiety. Where does anxiety take place? Yes, in your head, but chronologically. Yeah, when you... When, when you feel that there's no solution to the problem or a situation that you can't control, but what what time period are you thinking about when you're anxious? No. Anx 
Anxiety is being stuck in the future. There's no such thing as anxiety right now. Right now, if there's a threat right now, that's not called anxiety. That's called response. If something's happening to you right now, you have to respond. That's fight or flight or any other response that's needed to deal with a crisis in the moment. Anxiety is when you get stuck and fixated on what might happen in the future. If anxiety is in the future, depression is getting stuck, is the opposite, getting stuck in the past. What would have, could have, should have. The things I did wrong or the times that people hurt me. But there's one place that anxiety and depression don't exist. The present. Breath focuses you. Meditation focuses you on being present right now. If you're present in the here and now, there is no anxiety and there is no depression. All there is is experience. And experience is neither good or bad. It just is. And if you can experience it without judging it, right? The difference between pain and suffering. Suffering is the judgment about the experience. But if you can just sit there going through whatever it is you're going through, it's just an experience. And you can breathe through the pain. And you can actually experience godliness in the moment in whatever experience you're going through. So that's advantage number two of breath is it gives you space to connect. Advantage number three of breath says we say every day in the morning prayers. We actually say it three times in the morning prayers or at least twice. Call Haneshama Tahalel Ka, which translates as every soul should praise God. Every soul should praise God. But the Talmud says you can read that actually differently. Instead of every Neshama praise God, you should read it as every Neshima praise God. Neshima means breath. With every breath we take, we should say thank you. And there's a there's an amazing prayer, actually my favorite prayer, which is said on Shabbos, which is called Nishmas Kol Chai, the the soul of all living things, but all again can be translated as the breath of all living things, because there's this thread of existence of spirituality that unites us all, which is the breath of life, because God breathed into us a living soul. That's what gives us our life force. And the Zohar says, or at least attributed to the Zohar, is that when a person blows, that God created all of the universe with how? Does anyone know how God created the universe? Speech. But there's one creature that wasn't created with speech. Adam and Eve, you're right. Adam and Eve were not created with breath, with speech. Adam and Eve were created by taking the stuff that had already been created. That's the physical. We're made up of a composite of all the physical things that already existed. And then God breathed into us a living soul. And the Zohar says that speech uses just the surface level of breath. But breathing has to come from deep within. So God literally took a piece of himself and breathed it into us. So that's the significance of breath. We often take our breath for granted until we don't have it. And that's the gift of COVID. Whoever had it, they learned to appreciate breath. What an incredible gift. 
I don't know if I shared this story with you before. I have shared it before, though. But the, one of my favorite stories, Rev. Avigdor Miller, who was one of the greatest, um, great rabbi, passed away about 15 years ago. He lived in Brooklyn. And he is famous for many different things that he used to do, very eccentric things. Um, my friend, actually, who I should mention, Chaim Chernoff, who is the founder of the Jewish podcasts uh, that I utilize. And he founded Yidpod and the Chesed Fund. He's an amazing innovator uh, and entrepreneur. So he just had a baby two weeks ago and he named the baby Avigdor after Riva Avigdor Miller, who was his, I think his uh, wife's uh, parents' rabbi, I believe. So one, uh, Riva Avigdor Miller had an interesting custom. He used to always carry around apple seeds in his pocket. And after he died, they were auctioned off for like hundreds of thousands of dollars. And he used to carry around these apple seeds because he used to just take him out of his pocket whenever he had a moment and he'd meditate on how amazing it is that from this tiny seed comes in a gigantic tree and how we can utilize that to think about how our life is just a process that we're just the seeds right now. Someday our body will be planted in the ground and then we'll s sprout forth the true existence of who we really are. So very interesting. One time his grandson comes into the house and finds him in the kitchen with his head submerged in the sink full of water and he's like what's going on here and he walks into the room and after a minute he rabbi Mick miller pulls his head out of the water and he starts gasping for air and he says oh air so delicious so sweet and his, his grandson said what what's that all about he said i was just i was outside and i heard some people complaining about how disgusting new york city air is and i was so upset to hear someone talk badly about the air, I wanted to remind myself how how wonderful the air tastes, even in New York. So it's a beautiful lesson to think about not taking things for granted. We are surrounded 24-7 with the most incredible gifts and blessings. We just have to open our eyes to those blessings. And a gift is not valuable if you don't recognize that you have it. So we have to recognize that we have the gift of the ability to breathe. We have the gift of the ability to walk, to see, to hear, to taste. Well, you know, if anyone lost their taste during COVID, you realize how much of a blessing it is to taste. What about smell? How often do you take for granted your sense of smell? When you lost your sense of smell during COVID, you realized that food suddenly didn't taste as good. That Life lost a little bit of its flavor and its excitement. When I lost, um, when I lost my taste a long time ago, actually way before COVID, I lost my taste because of a vitamin B deficiency, and it was. I suddenly realized that the worst part about it was that water was like so tasteless. Like we don't realize that water actually has a taste. We think it's neutral. No, water is delicious. It's sweet. But when I lost my sense of taste, it tasted like metallic. It was horrible. So another advantage of breath is to recognize and not take for granted the gift that we have every single second. 
we're breathing. Right? How often do we breathe? Probably every 10 seconds. Right? So what an opportunity. So take take advantage and try to internalize what the Talmud is telling us. That with every breath, say thank you. Try. Try it. What a meditation. It doesn't have to be every breath, every second. But maybe once a day, say thank you. Maybe when you're sitting on the subway and you're bored and your phone, you lost reception. You're suddenly in a panic because you have nothing to do. So don't panic. Breathe. Learn to meditate to calm down your anxiety. But not only that, as you're breathing, say thank you for the opportunity to be alive. So spirituality comes from the word wind. Spirit, spirituality, ruchniut in Hebrew, wind, which really spiritualness or windiness has to do with air. What's the connection between spirituality and air? You ever wonder why we call it spirituality? Something to do with spirit, wind? Perhaps anyone want to take a take a guess on what the connection is? Wow, Julia, excellent. Air is the invisible life force. You can't see it. You can't taste it or touch it. It's intangible, invisible, and yet it keeps you alive. It's the invisible force that keeps you going. I'll read you a quote from physicist David Baum. He writes, The field of the finite is all that we can see, hear, touch, remember, and describe. This field is basically that which is manifest or tangible. The finite, the physical, is that which you can see, taste, or touch. The essential quality of the infinite, by contrast, is its subtlety, its intangibility. This quality is conveyed in the word spirit, whose root meaning is wind or breath. This suggests an invisible but pervasive energy to which the manifest world of the finite responds. The source of the finite is the infinite, that which is everywhere but intangible. This energy or spirit infuses all living things, and without it, any organism must fall apart into its constituent elements. That which is truly alive in living systems is the energy of spirit, and this is never born and never dies. That's a beautiful quote from a physicist. That it's the intangible, the invisible, that's the source of true life. He's Jewish, but how Jewish is that? That's that's the, that's really what we believe. Okay, so that is uh, the first three levels, and the last level of breath that I want to share with you is as we discussed the three levels of soul: nefesh, ruach, and neshama. Neshama, which is described as the breath of God, is that breathing, as you breathe, you open yourself up through silencing the mind, meditation, relaxing the body, dealing with anxiety, connecting to the intangible life force, makes room for soul to come into our body, to descend into our body. 
as Rashi tells us here, that anyone who's in a state of constriction, his breath, his ruach, and his neshama, his breath and his wind, his soul, is not able, is shortened, and he's not able to be marich b'nishmaso. He's not able to draw down his neshama. Life is all about spirituality. It's all about bringing more soul in to your body. It's not about leaving the body. It's not about disconnecting from the soul from a Jewish perspective. It's about reconnecting the soul and bringing it more into your state of consciousness. And that we do that through making ourselves more spiritually in tuned by limiting our physical drives, by learning to be sensitized to spirituality, by doing spiritual things, we bring more soul into our life. So true redemption, as we mentioned last week, is connection to our inner essence. Slavery is disconnection. Exile is exile from ourselves. As the Baal Shem Tov says, true redemption can take place right now. We don't have to wait for Mashiach to come. We don't have to wait for the end of our slavery or whatever suffering we're going through in our life at this moment. And we're all going through something. I guarantee it. Everyone is going through something, whether it's mental health challenges, depression and anxiety, which I guarantee 99% of everyone you know has, right? Or financial challenges, relationship challenges, health challenges, right? You name it, we've got it. But you don't have to wait for those challenges to go away for you to be saved from those challenges because those challenges are external. Even the anxiety and depression, they're external. You can have external challenges and still be living in a state of internal tranquility and connection. How? By reframing the situation, by learning to connect to your true self, to connect to God in this moment. So again, four benefits of breath, calm the body, calm the mind, makes this space for contemplation, open yourself to a moment to be thankful for the gift of life, and finally to connect to the true breath, the spiritual breath of life, which is flowing through us. So. I hope my blessing last year was that hopefully 2021 will be more normal than 2020. I guess that didn't happen, but perhaps 2022 will be the best year, the greatest year in the non-Jewish calendar that we've ever experienced. It'll be a year, hopefully, of true redemption for everyone individually and collectively. We should be spared from all our suffering, but but most importantly is that we have the tools to, to, to redeem ourselves individually right now. And that all has to do with utilizing our breath to connect to reality, to open our mind to the big picture, to break out of the constriction of Egypt, Mitzrayim, which means a place of constriction, to freedom, the redemption of uh, the totality and the recognition that God is here right now in every single moment. Thank you guys so much for listening. And now let's hear some questions.